Amen. Amen. How y'all doing this morning? Good, good. We're going to jump right into the Word today. We're continuing in a series called Come and See. And kind of the premise behind this series is we believe that God is so amazing and so awesome and so wonderful that we every day need to come and see. I pray that you're encouraged to be in your CBR journals. It is a journal that we have in the back if you do not have one. Uh, if you're like me, you're starting to run out in some of the space in your journal. And so I want to encourage you to pick that up and just walk through God's word with us. Uh, we're in Leviticus now and also just finished up Galatians, going into Ephesians. And uh, we'll be in Galatians 6 this morning. But I just want to encourage you to journey through God's word with us. Today I wanted to talk about how when we come and see the beauty of who God is and what he's done, and as we invite others to come and see who God is and what he's done, I think one of the unique markers of us as Christians is how God has called us to handle conflict. To handle conflict. To handle drama. To handle mess. I think it's unique in how he's called us to do that. So this morning, we're going to dive into that. I was having a conversation with a gentleman this week, and... Uh, the gentleman immediately uh, started talking about an old friend that he had. As he referenced this friend, um, he talked about how they weren't on the best of terms anymore. And so I inquired a little bit more, well, what happened in this relationship that you guys aren't as close as you used to be? And he said about three years ago, they had this discussion and they started talking about the criminal justice system. And they had differing views on that. And after that conversation, things in their relationship has just not been as close as they used to be. And so I said to him, man, why not, you know, maybe pick up the phone, uh, have a conversation about it, tell him where the difference was, apologize, forgive, confess. And he responded to me, that's water under the bridge. Doesn't make sense for me to go back that long ago and discuss that that challenge. Now this person, older, he's in his 60s, been walking with Jesus for 40 years, teaches from God's word, yet not willing to deal with conflict in a healthy way. I think one of the one of the markers of the community of God, what I'm praying for, one of the markers of this church is that this will be a church that handles conflict well. When we disagree with one another, when we have challenges, and we will, that we can deal with them in a way that honors God. Truth of the matter is, is you right now this morning, this is going to be an on-time word for you because some of you are in conflict right now. Some of you all are sitting next to conflict right now. Some of y'all are just coming out of conflict, and you're like, whew, I'm glad it's done. The truth is, either you're in it, you're coming out of it, or you're on your way into it. Conflict is inevitable. So how then is God calling us to do this well? Well, here's our temptation in conflict is to do really two things, uh, Sociologists will call this fight or flight. Either we are going to engage in 
fight the conflict. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You say something about me, I'm going to say something right back to you. You, you diss me, I'm going to diss you. It's tick for tack. I'm going to fight you at every end. And others of us, we don't fight, we retreat. It's what Brian LaRitz calls spiritual moonwalking. I'll just, I'll just ignore you. I'll just separate myself from you. I believe God calls us to do a third way. Not to necessarily fight. There's a time to fight. Don't get me wrong. There's a time to withdraw for a season. Don't get me wrong. But I think in the end, God's calling us to this third way of being a peacemaker. Another way to say that is to be a reconciler. So this morning, I want to talk to you about being a community of reconcilers. Because what would it look like if that's what we're known for? What would it look like if, if, if someone met a group of people from this church and, and one of the quick things that they drew from this group of people is, man, they beef and then they make up. Like they have challenges and conflict, but they get it right. They're always apologizing. They're always forgiving. They're always confessing. Because when we do those things, out of that comes something rich and beautiful and amazing. I believe that's what God is calling us to. And to back me up, John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another, or by the way you love one another. That's what he's calling us to, amen? Let's get into the word. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 Galatians 6 verse 2, a couple of verses, says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited or provoking or envying each other. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. also want to look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says this. Matter of fact, I'll just focus in on 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. Amen? I want to talk about two things this morning, then I'll be out your way. Number one, roadblocks to resolving conflict. Number two, being reconcilers. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We do bless you this morning. Thank you for drawing us here. You are such a God of intentionality. You knew who would be here, and in our attendance is proof positive we need to listen to what you have to say. Speak to us. Your word that will change our hearts. So Father, we thank you for that and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are some of the roadblocks to conflict? Before we dive into that, I want to say, I believe there are some things about conflict that we don't need to necessarily address. There are some matters that are so small, we need to overlook them. 
just want to add that as a category. I was sharing this with our leadership team yesterday, and one of the things I said is if, if YL borrows my car and he, I give him the car on full and he comes back on you know, three-quarters tank or half a tank, um, I could hem him up about that, right? I could say, yo, give me them $10, give me them $15 real quick. I need that. Um, or I can, just, I can just overlook that. I can say, man, there's some stuff. Maybe he forgot. Maybe some stuff happened. There's certain sins, certain offenses that we can overlook. So Proverbs 19.11 says, A man wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense. And I think, I think we, we do that for the most part. I think the greater challenge is when we can overlook the offense. When something has to be done. How do I know when that is? It's when you don't have any peace. Has anybody ever had an offense? You have. And you couldn't move on from it? Tried to shake it, you couldn't shake it. Tried to sleep it off, you couldn't sleep it off. One of the ways you know you have to deal with it is because you have no peace. Another way you know you need to deal with it is if this offense dishonor God or sin that needs to be dealt with. Another way we know that we need to deal with the conflict is that it's either hurting you or it's hurting someone else. It's destructive. We need to deal with that conflict. So what are some of the roadblocks to this kind of community of reconcilers? Let's go to our text in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or envying each other. I think this is powerful. He's just, in Galatians chapter 5, lists the fruits of the Spirit and, and how a Christian ought to experience the Spirit and the fruit that comes out of that stuff like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. He just lists all of that in Galatians 5. And then towards the end, he's saying, now since we live by that same Spirit, let's keep in step with it. Let's keep in step with the Spirit and let's not become conceited, provoking and envying of others. Let's look at this word conceited. In other words, because we live by the Spirit and we've been granted all of this great grace by God, let's not live in a way that's conceited. You see, when I live conceited, I'm looking at myself too much. I'm concerned about my own welfare so much that I'm building a kingdom of me. And if you don't help build my kingdom, then I don't have time for you. See, we live in a very isolated world. We live in a very individualistic world. And so Paul here is encouraging us, don't be conceited. Because when I'm conceited, I don't have time to be concerned with anyone else's sin because I have to deal with the kingdom of me. The second thing is, don't be envious. When I'm envious, I'm looking at other people, wanting what other people have, and who has not been tempted to do that? Your neighbor drives up in his driveway, and he gets a new car, and I praise God for that, and a couple of weeks later, he gets another new car, and you're like, wait a minute, you crossed the line. I could celebrate if you get one car, but now you got two. I, I, I can't deal with that. 
We struggle with looking at other people's lives and wanting what they have. And the challenge with that is when we do that, we don't have time to be concerned with other people. So when he finally gets to Galatians 6, it is powerful what he says here. He says, brothers, if any one of you are caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him with the spirit of gentleness. What is Paul saying? That as Christians, we should walk in a way that looks in our concern about the affairs of other people, not just our own. What he's saying here is as we walk in step with the Spirit, God gives us eyes to see other people that are in need of restoration. And man, that's powerful. So what stops us from seeing these people? These are friends, these are neighbors, these are co-workers, these are family members, these are in-laws and outlaws. What stops us from seeing them? I believe what stops us from seeing that is there's stuff that's blocking our vision so we can't see. Rodney, what's blocking our vision? Good question. Matthew 7 tells us, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We need to be a community of reconcilers, and sometimes we look at passages like this, and we allow this passage to call us not to be a community of reconcilers. We see this passage, and we say, you know what, Rodney, I know that I'm supposed to be this person that's reconciling, and, and, and if there's faults in conflict, I'm supposed to be bringing resolution, or if two opposite parties have a conflict, I'm supposed to be seeing how I can draw those two parties together, but the truth is, I have too much going on in my own life to be able to deal with that, to be able to pursue that. You see, Rodney, I have this log in my eye, so I can't even really see clearly to call out the speck in someone else's eye. This passage is not telling us not to engage in conflict resolution. What this passage is telling us is the order in which we engage in conflict resolution. You see, before I, I engage in, in, in being a person that's reconciling, bringing back together two things that are separated, I got to consider myself. You see, there's some stuff in my life that can lead to conflict. There's, there's, there's things about my personality, my weaknesses, my, my, my issues that lead to conflict. My wife can probably testify of this. We won't give her the mic, but she could. My wife can come and tell you there are things about Rodney's personality that can lead to conflict in our marriage. You see, the truth is, the main issue is we're both sinners. We are, we are sinners by 
nature and we're sinners in our deeds. Rodney, what do you mean by sinners? The Bible say, says that we were born into sin, that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that sin was passed down to all of humanity. God made this world perfect, but sin came in and broke it. And we are today continually experiencing the ramifications of that sin. And I do not have the ability to change myself. The hard, how hard I work to, to, to work on my, you know, my issues or my challenges or, or the negative things in my personality, I, I, I lack the power to change those things. And this is why God sends Jesus who comes and takes care of my sin problem on the cross. That when I repent of my sins and I put trust in him, he gives me not just eternal life, but he gives me now the power to deal with my sin. So before I was powerless to deal with my sin, but now because of Christ I've been given power to deal with my sin. Now I can come to him and ask him to help change the messy parts of me. And it is him that is doing the changing. It's not my own strength. So I got to come to him and say, there's this conflict that I need to resolve. There's this conflict between friends. We're, we're, we're friends, but something happened in the path of our friendship, and now things are different. And we haven't addressed it. And we don't have plans to address it. And we have brought the lie that is better left not addressed share with our team yesterday that when we do that, when we leave these relationships, when conflict happens and there's an offense or there's a sin and we don't deal with it, it's like we're building a wall. And, and one of the things we say is, it's, it's okay if I build this wall. It's okay if I don't deal with it because, you know what, it's just, it's just that one person. I just needed to get this one person out of my life. I needed to get this one person out of my system. Now I'm good. The problem is, then someone else becomes another problem. Or they do something that reminds you of the person that you just built the wall for. And so then you have to build another one. It's only right. Everybody else in the world I can get along with. I'm telling you, people love me. You go to my job, people love me. You, I mean, I go in the neighborhood, people love me. I'm a good person. People like me. Look how many friends I have on social media, how many followers I have. People, it's just these two people. And then it's just your one child. The rest of my children are fine. You know, everybody got that one. And then it's a spouse. And then it's a parent. And then it's that other friend who sided with the other friend you built the wall for? And now they're gaining up on you? Have you ever heard this language? They're gaining up on me? Could it be possible that the reason you see gains is because you can't see? What if God this morning is beckoning you to come and see it's not everybody else's fault? A part of that, it's on you. 
But what did I do wrong? I was sitting with Ronnie this week on Monday, and I was going through my little go-through, going through a little conflict. And I know I'm the pastor, and he's the member. I know that. But I was going through my little conflict. And we're in a discipleship group. And so I said, Ronnie, I know I'm the pastor, but I need you to pastor me in this moment. So I said, here's the situation. Show me where I'm wrong. I said a little bit of confidence. Man, show me. Show me playing where I'm wrong in this. Because I couldn't see. And he just started to ask questions. Listened, asked questions. Probed my heart. And then it surfaced. And I wanted to put it back down once it surfaced. You see, you got to have people in your life that aren't so impressed with you, they don't question you. So when I saw it, I'm like, you showed me me, and I didn't like what I saw. So I knew I had to go get it right. What is it about yourself when you look, you don't like what you see? You see, because the truth of the matter is, what you don't like is that part of you that doesn't look like the Christ that died to save you. And when you see yourself and you don't like what you see, understand that God saw that first. He saw it before you saw it. Before you were formed, before you were made, before you knew how to talk, before you ever met that person, he saw the conflict coming and he knew how you would respond and he still decided to die on a cross for you. You see, he came to save that ugly part of you. So I gotta, I gotta get rid of the roadblocks. I gotta get rid of the stuff that stops me from seeing. I gotta stop blaming other people. I have to stop waiting for somebody else to get it right before I get it right. Well, you know, I'm just gonna wait till they come to me because, you know, I wait for them to come and then when they come, I'll forgive them. What if they don't come? What if they die? God knew that you were waiting for them to come. So he said, on May 26, at 1056, I'm going to have them sit in this service, and I'm going to tell Rod to tell them, don't wait for them to come. Maybe they ain't coming. Why? You're at church on Sunday, they may be on the beach sipping on something. They may not be thinking about you. So God calls his people to do things, hold on, that's uncomfortable. He calls us to go. So point number two, be reconcilers. What does this look like? Number one, it looks like not waiting for them to come to you. Number two, it looks like action. Cameras, lights, actions. It looks like movement. It looks like difficult movement towards obeying Jesus. This is not easy. This is not for... This is hard stuff. So how do I do it? Glad you asked. Number one, pray. Pray, 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 pray. Ask for God's help. 
What you are doing is actually bringing, around God, bringing about God's glory in situations because conflict is an opportunity to bring God glory. When he sees you go and confess and come alongside or call out sin or address issues, that's all bringing about his glory. When people are called on the table because of their sin, it's bringing about God's glory. Rodney, why? Because what if no one ever tells them their sin? It's like the person, you know, may have somebody at your job and every day, you know, they come in and their breath situation is challenged. And, you know, if, hey, how you doing? Hey, how, whoa. <laughs> That's something they emailed us and the, and, and you hope, you're hoping, you're praying on your way to work, Lord Jesus, please let this day be different. And you walk in, and it's the same thing. And, and nobody tells him. They have conferences about this in the break room. Nobody tells him. Part of the call to be a Christian is saying, hey, bro, I need to, I need to chat with you. So the situation is... <laughs> Sorry, that was ungodly. Um, but it, listen, dude, yeah, listen, bro, sums off. Man, how do you think he feels walking away from a conversation where you just told him something he didn't know? You think he feels like he hates you now? You're the worst person in the world? You think you're better than me? See, these are lies that the enemy tells us that people are going to have those kinds of response when we call out truth. And even if they do, it's still worth it. You're bringing glory to God. So, man, pray. This is going to take discernment. This is going to take uh, God's spirit has to lead us in this. It's not always cut and dry. We need to grow in this. So, number one, pray. Ask God for discernment. Number two, if you need counsel, talk to someone. This is not a gossiping session. This is talking to someone who can help you be reconciled. If they can't help you be reconciled, you don't need to be talking to them about this. This is where leadership comes in and elders comes in and trusted advisors come in. Man, I'm having this challenge. Tell me, help me. How do I work through this? Seek counsel. How else do we do this? Between the two of you, the scripture says. So I don't have to have 15 other conversations with people. That's gossip. But I need to go to this person and have this conversation. Again, just highlighting the difference between counsel and gossip. The aim here is not reading the person their rights. The aim is restoration. And so we're not just going, I need to tell him that I've been, I've been holding this up and I just got to get this off my chest and I need you to sit down and listen to me. No, it's not about you. God calls us in this conflict resolution to be so uh, 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 cognizant of our identity being in Christ and being complete in Christ and an understanding of all that he's done when we see how our sins have affected him and he still loves us and comes to us and are gentle with us. This is why Galatians says, let you who are spiritual restore the brother with the spirit of meekness or gentleness. This is a gentle work. This isn't to prove you're right. This is restoration. So we go to that brother. We go to that sister. One-on-one, preferably face-to-face. This is not a text message. 
This is not a DM. This is conflict don't work well that way. You sit down face to face, eyeball to eyeball. I know I'm talking crazy to millennials, but that's just the way it is. There's this thing called a face to face meeting. Worst case scenario, phone call. And you go, you love them, you appreciate them, you agree where you can agree, but you tell them the truth. You tell them the truth. Proverbs 27, 5 says this, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. I think that person, I believe the Holy Spirit has put that person on your mind now. I don't think it's much work for you to do. I believe this person wants it. We are surrounded in a culture where we only talk about what's positive. Because if you talk about what's negative, you're narrow-minded, you're condescending. No, no. A good friend wounds us at times for our own good. Okay. Lastly, Ephesians 2, verse 14 through 17 says this, For he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We talked about that last week. Uh, uh, This wall separated Jews and Gentiles. By abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances, that he might create one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I want to highlight this, this phrase, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. This person that you're in conflict with, you're on this side and they're on that side. You guys have tension, you have distance, you've put up fences, You stay on your side of the fence, I'll stay on my side of the fence. This kind of behavior exists in all kinds of human relationships. And one of the ways that we need to think about dealing with conflict is to look to the cross of Jesus. He tears down the dividing wall of hostility. Yes, between Jew and Gentile, but also between brothers and sisters that are existing in conflict. And when I look at what Jesus has done by making peace with Jews and Gentiles, I can look at what Jesus has done in making peace with those that I may be in conflict with. So as much as it depends on you, church, live at peace with all men. Strive for peace. Work for peace. Here's the truth. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you do all you can and it still doesn't work. And in those cases, you trust God. But for us, believers, be at peace. So as we go, we are confessing sins. As you're having that meeting, if there are sins you've committed, confess them. You may say, Rodney, well, I'm the one that was sinned against. Is there any part that you need to confess? Confess that. I'm the one that did the sinning. Would you confess that completely and not add an excuse on why you did it? And just take full ownership. And then forgive. 
Here's the tough part, and I'm done. Forgiveness is not a feeling. In other words, you are not going to get the feeling to forgive. Anybody ever woke up in a forgiving mood? It's not a feeling. It's a decision. And you and I have to make decisions over and over and over again to forgive. So forgiving is not a feeling. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. In other words, when someone sins against me, you still remember it. Well, Rodney, how long before I forget it? You may never forget it. Great infractions you probably won't forget. So if forgiving is not forgetting, then what is it? Forgiving is choosing not to bring it up over and over and over again. Forgiving is not weaponizing what happens and then using it as a weapon against the person. Forgetting is not something that happens. Even God doesn't forget. God chooses not to remember and to bring him up again to you. Okay? Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgression. Psalms 130 says this, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, O Lord, who can stand? But with you there's forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. God's calling us to forgive, and it's not a feeling, it's not forgetting, and it's not excusing. A, a, a question that comes up often in forgiveness is, um, well, is forgiveness just saying what happened is all right? No, no. What happened was wrong. As a matter of fact, true forgiveness entails taking ownership over that sin. You can't just move past that. You've got to call it what it is. Let's take a marriage, for instance. If you keep on shoving, just overlooking stuff that hurts you, and they never repent, or they never apologize, or they never take ownership, or they never say they were wrong. Divorce doesn't just come to come. Divorce isn't just one decision. It's many decisions made over the course of a marriage. And you're building something that's leading to separation. In friendships, you're building stuff that's leading to separation in all of your human relationships. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is taking ownership. I've said this several times, but I think it just, it's important. As we talk about abuse that happens, hurtful, destructive, ungodly relationships, please don't hear this as God calling you to be abused. That's, in, that's, that's not his will for your life. This is why pastors are important. This is why churches are important. This is why counsel is important. He's not calling you to be abused and take it for Jesus. He's calling you to practice confessing forgiveness and loving people the way he's called us to. Okay?